In Nippon, as in the Japan of our own earth, there lived a woman named Tomoe. She followed the Bushido, or way of the warrior, and only once in her life did she stray from these tenants. This is the story of how sorcery caused Tomoe Gozen to break faith with her Bushido and what she did to regain honor. Ushi pushed his kneeling friend off balance, causing Madoka to drop the shoulder armor he was attaching to himself. You're not nice, complained Madoka, then moved his foot quickly to unsettle Ushi in turn. Tomoe goes and shook her head and passed a momentary smile to the room's fourth occupant, a severe and powerful man named Goro Maki. Goro's eyes glinted, even though he did not return the smile. They are like little boys, said Tomoe. She suppressed laughter when Ushi slapped Madoka alongside the face in playful test of reflexes. Goromaki answered Tomoe in his resonant, intense voice. They have been together since military school, since they were six or seven. I envy them, their love. They were childlike only when together, away from the eyes of servants or lords. Other times, Ushi Yakushiji and Modoka Kawayama were nearly as serious as Goromaki. These four samurai, three men and one woman, went through the grooming rituals and ritual of applying their own armor piece by piece. Goro and Tomoe, by not being rowdy, completed these processes first. They sat on their knees with hands at rest on the upper part of their legs, watching Ushi and Madoka behave whimsically. The hilt of a short sword protruded from the center of Goro's obi belt, and his long sword lay at his side on the floor. Two similarly paired long and short swords waited on their horizontal racks near a wall. Tomoe's two swords were of an uncommon design, both of equal length, and sheathed one at each hip rather than through her obi. Goro's head turned until his gaze settled on these swords. Tomoe noticed his lack of appreciation. You still think these will cause me trouble, my friend? Goro looked mountainous on his knees. He visibly shrank in upon himself over Tomoe's minor challenge. Then he replied in a harsh, measured tone. You have killed warriors as strong as me for doubting the metal of swords forged on foreign ground. It is not for Goromaki to say Tomoe Gozen has changed since returning from the celestial kingdoms of Ho. You are too formal, said Tomoe, her mood still pleasant. Please be more blunt. If you doubt I should wear foreign blades when we take new oaths of vassalage to our warlord, do not hesitate to criticize. Your swords are very good, said Goro, but his growling intonation suggested otherwise. Do not tease me as Ushi does Madoka. I am too proud, too proud to die by a sword not made in Nippon. Tomoe was stung. No one had ever dared to say they would be ashamed to die by her swords, although, as Goro stated, she had killed those who thought her style and weapons inferior. She did not press the matter further with Goro. He was a stickler about warrior codes. He would never fully approve of her alien steel, even if it were true that the swordsmith in Ho had been Nipponese born. They were butterfly longswords, wrought by a smith outcast from Nippon.
Tomoe had traveled to Ho two years previous and assassinated the Nipponese trader who served foreign strengths, who made for others swords with edge and temper intended by the gods for samurai alone. It had been a special mission performed under guidance of a messenger of the Mikado. She had been directed to find and destroy every bastard sword of Nippon craft and foreign design. She warred against the nefarious mainlanders with effective haste and completed her mission, but they had left their mark upon her by root of their variant and seductive philosophy. For the samurai sword is the samurai soul, and the second sword was always a short one which could never violate the long sword as true soul.